You're listening to Taxpayers Australia's news and insights podcast, Tax Wrap. Hello, listeners. Welcome to Tax Wrap podcast episode 96. Now, we're joined today again by Dr. Mark Pizzicala, who we spoke with about a, about a fortnight ago in episode 94. Now, Mark's a member of the Board of Taxation and was instrumental in the consultation of the introduction of the Small Business Restructure Rollover Measure. So, Mark, um, today we're going to just talk about some of the small business tax issues and, and also just touch on the small business restructure rollover because I think you've had quite a bit to, to do with that. Now, you're the, you're the preeminent expert in small business taxation, Mark. You, you did your PhD purely on small business taxation. So, what are your thoughts on the suite of uh, tax changes that have been um, legislated over the last couple of years? Sure. Well, well, look, Andy. One thing uh, I'm extremely proud of, um, uh, you know, the board's activities in relation to the small business sector and and changes that we think we've been able to to, to contribute to. Um, we've listened to what people had to say when I first started on the board. We uh, travelled around the country and had held consultation sessions with um, the small business sector in every, st- nearly every state, I should say, and um, just trying to understand what their issues were. And we took away ideas and, and you know, put those to, to government as part of um, their budgetary processes. And I guess, you know, the, the $20,000 uh, write-off um, for fixed assets uh, is probably a very good indication of, um, of you know, uh, an idea that, that relates to small businesses having the opportunity to write off fixed assets without going through the cumbersome process of depreciation schedules and um, compliance. Um, and yes, it is at a cost, but ultimately we're hoping that, that that means that there's less impediments to the way they conduct their business and and they can focus on the top line, not, not compliance. Um, the other one is the small business entity threshold. So that's, you know, there's been a lot of discussion over a lot of years about the small business threshold. Is it too high? Um, sorry, is it too low and if it's going to be increased what should it be increased to so in the end uh you know that's now been increased to to 10 million dollars from 2 million dollars for small business concessions of course excluding the uh, small business cgt concession um but again that reduces uh, according to government work papers that reduces a regulatory cost of small business by something like 32 million dollars per annum it allows an additional ninety to one hundred thousand businesses to access the small business concessions. Again, reducing compliance costs and increasing cash flows. Hopefully, um, um, and hopefully, it encourages the businesses to grow um, and not lose the concessions. So, one of the concerns was that once you hit that two million threshold, some businesses—you may be surprised to hear—were indicating to me that they refused to grow because they were losing concessions. Mm. Um, so, which I find extraordinary because I would have thought that commercially. Notwithstanding, you lose concessions, you would still want your business to grow, right. but that's not how everybody looks at it. Mm. So, so we've removed that impediment, um, and I think certainly the small business restructure rollover provisions, which we'll talk about a bit more in a moment, um, is a significant um, change to the law, significant change to um, which enables businesses to you know change the structures they're in so that they can more closely adapt to the structure they should be in uh, without having any 
income tax or CGT implications associated with making the change? It's very much a matter of really timing differences is what we're talking about. So as we know, cash flow is really important to small business. Uh, the, the changes are very much improving um, that timing difference and improving mm. cash flow. So we know that there's a lot of small business concessions available. Uh, which ones do you think are the most valuable to business? Personally, I think uh, the small business CGT concession is the most valuable. Um, it certainly costs the most in revenue terms. Uh, <laughs> if you look at the expenditure, if, yeah. if you look at the expenditure statements uh, that, that's released. So, um, but you know, but um, so it should in the sense that um, small business owners take the risk. Uh, they are not in a PAYG environment. They're not a salary and wage earner. Um, you know. Um, Quite often they put their house on the line, they carry mm. the debt, uh, they give personal guarantees. So, you know, unless you've actually given a personal guarantee or unless you've actually put your house on the line, it may be difficult for people out there to understand what that means and unless you've done it. So I've done it, so I know what it means. Um, <laughs> um, and, you know, it's uncomfortable. So I think, you know, from a small business perspective, they should reap those rewards if they've been able to run a successful business and sell it, they should be able to take advantage of those concessions. Yeah, skin in the game as they call Absolutely. it, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, one of the things, one of the comments that um, we spoke about last year, Mark, that really struck me was that you, you mentioned that tax concessions add further complexities to the tax system. So do you think that there are too many tax concessions for small business these days? And if so, how can things be simplified? Um, look, look, there certainly are, I think there's around... Don't quote me on this, but there'd be around 20 concessions. Um, and, you know, are there too many or too few? Uh, look, whenever you have a concession, it, it results in a compliance uh, obligation that you need to sort of perform whether you're an advisor or even the taxpayer. Um, and and it is a good question perhaps to maybe sit back and say, are these the right concessions? Do they need to be compressed into more relevant concessions? Um that is an aspect uh, that I've raised on the board and, and you know, whether we um, have sufficient time to get around to it is a different issue. But but certainly it is an important aspect to, to look at the concessions and say, well, are they, are they all relevant? So, for example, one might argue that the trading stock concession is not that relevant, yes. right? I mean, I yeah. don't know many... I don't know anyone in practice that I've ever met that has ever said to me that's a great concession, yeah, or anyone that's ever followed that concession. I don't think we've ever had a helpline question on it, really, have <laughs> we, Andy? So <laughs> it's, it's a paradox in some way, Mark, because you actually got to do the stock take to work out whether you've got that. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So, so it's a bit of a so you know so but this is a you know this is kind of a, a hangover from the way policy was formed in the past, uh, and that's what we're trying to get away from. Mm, exactly. All right, Michael, let's move on to the small business restructure rollover. Um, that applies from 1 July this year. Uh, you were quite instrumental in its development and redesign. Uh, can you explain how the board worked with the government in improving the legislation? Well, look, um, so the small business restructure rollover provision is definitely something that I'm, I'm very proud of, uh, to say that the board has been a, a part of um, um, that consultation process because, um, you know, the way policy should be looked at from a SME perspective is really to look at it from the point of view of a of a life cycle of an SME. Um, so there's a lot of different models out there which uh, you know which demonstrate what the life cycle of an SME is. So one that I've always followed is the Scott Bruce model. But as I say, there's a lot of models out there where where you look at the inception stage of the business, um, you then look at the survival stage. 
if it gets past those two stages, it, it, it may grow. And if it does grow, um, it can expand. And then obviously there's maturity. So a proposition that uh, I've always put to, to Treasury and the ATO is, look, we need to look at these concessions from the point of view of a life cycle. And before we introduce a concession, let's think about what part of the life cycle does that concession belong in? And does it actually do the job for that particular stage of growth that the business is in? So when we look at the small, so sorry, that's a long-winded answer, but when we look at the restructure provisions, um, the clear benefit of it is that is that you know quite often small businesses, as they're starting out, either don't get the right advice or can't afford to get the right advice, and so they end up in a structure that they really should never have been in, and so. This is an important restructure rollover provision because it enables them to get into the appropriate structure or adapt to a new structure if they are growing and they've outgrown their old structure. This gives them that possibility of changing without a tax impost. Now, Mark, um, I have to say we do love the small business restructure rollover. It just gives that flexibility to businesses, particularly commercially, if they need to adapt. Um, As we said a bit earlier, you're quite instrumental in its development and redesign. Um, Two main changes to the initial draft legislation was the removal of the $6 million maximum net asset value test, which was in as part of, which was in addition to the $2 million turnover test or aggregated annual turnover test. And the second part of it was also the use of the family trust selection to establish who was a controller of a trust. That's quite important in terms of some of these restructures. Um, Can you go through why those changes were made in the final legislation? Well, I can't speak for Treasury, but certainly, you know, one of the, you know, certainly some feedback that we got back was quite negative in terms of having to satisfy both the conditions, and and it was argued that there needed to be more consistency with the current provisions, and that makes sense because it means there's less compliance. It means yeah, there's yes. not an additional rule that you need to think about. So, so I guess really that 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 was really um, how that change has come about, and I think it's been favourably uh, received um, in terms of. Um, the other one, which is um, what what structures can you change to and from, um, what was introduced was the family trust election, which enabled you to go from, uh, for example, a company structure to a trust structure. But one of the conditions, as you know, is that you have the same uh, underlying economic uh, owners of the business and a discretionary trust uh, didn't allow you to do that. So by introducing the family trust election, at least it's a mechanism which means that the two entities are connected in in a small business CGT sense uh, and it provided flexibility for family-run businesses to to change structures. Now, now now, you know, there there might be further changes, but certainly we found that to be an appropriate solution. Um, Now, some of our members have been asking about the ability to access the CGT discount. Uh, For example, when a property is transferred from a company to a trust under the rollover, Um, notwithstanding the tax benefit, of course, uh, in your view, is the legislation intended to cater for these types of restructures? Yeah, look, that, that's meant to be there, uh, you know, because if you've got a, a property in a, in a company, uh, it wasn't intended that, that, the, that this particular provision could be used as a uh, wealth extraction type mechanism, right? Yeah. So, so it was there to ensure that there were genuine restructures. Um, and so therefore, there is that refresh of a year uh, in, you know, in terms of the deemed acquisition date of, a, of the property by the trust, just to make sure that people are doing this for the right reasons. Now, you might argue... But what if something happens in the first six months? There's a whole host of things that could go wrong and happen. Well, you know, it's very difficult to cater for everything is the answer. Uh, yeah. But but at least at least that's uh, 
an integrity provision that, mm. that I think we can live with. Okay, well, thanks once again, Mark, not only for your time, but for your many insights that you've given us today. Thank you very much for having me. Listeners, we'll be back next week.